You're listening to the Redeemer London podcast. For more information, visit our website at redeemerlondon.org. This morning, we are continuing our series looking at Abraham, and we pick up the story in chapter 16, which we've just heard. And if you were to take one thing away from this message, it's this. Abraham is a flawed character that God uses. However, Abraham is not the only character. There's a few in this passage, and I'm going to walk us through this story before looking at some lessons that we can take away for us this morning. Abraham and Sarah are waiting on the fulfillment of God's promise. And uh, I should just say, I'm going to say Abraham and Sarah throughout. There's a name change halfway through, but it confuses me. So we're, we're missing that bit out. And Winnie spoke brilliantly on the idea of uh, waiting last week. And it's been many years of waiting and no heir is forthcoming. So Sarah takes control of the situation and fails to continue trusting God. And we're introduced to Hagar simply as Sarah's maidservant. But I think this term is quite unhelpful. For me, I think of Downton Abbey and a Victorian maid. But the reality was Hagar was a slave and Sarah was her master. And Abraham and Sarah were originally from the land called Ur. And Fillmore says in his commentary, listen to the root of Sarah's strategy. Perhaps I can build. Perhaps it can begin with us. Back in Ur, it was common for infertile women to become mothers by giving a slave girl to their husband as a concubine. The two of them, therefore, fell back on the problem-solving strategies of Ur, thinking perhaps they could lend a hand, a helping hand, to Yahweh. When Sarah introduces the idea of conceiving a child through Hagar, it doesn't seem Hagar has a choice. And neither does it seem that Abraham put up much of a fight to hold on to the promise of God for a son and heir through Sarah. Abraham is undoubtedly complicit, and this is an echo of the way that Adam was complicit back in the Garden of Eden. And once pregnant, Hagar, we're told, began to despise her mistress. Now, this could have been something as simple as making eye contact for the first time, which a slave would never otherwise do. It was very unlikely to be any form of of grandstanding of any kind. But now that Hagar is pregnant, Sarah has a change of heart and she goes to Abraham to find a way forward. And Abraham lets her do whatever she wish. He seems distant and removed from this decision and each successive decision. And Sarah begins to ill-treat Hagar. And um, our translation has slightly softened this because when you look at the word, it is the same word that's later used in the context of uh, Egyptian slave masters beating the Hebrew slaves when they were building the pyramids. Her treatment of Hagar was so harsh it caused Hagar to flee the security of their camp into the wilderness. At which point the angel of the Lord appears to Hagar and there's a, in this exchange, there's few remarkable things. Firstly, it's widely understood that this was indeed God, not simply a messenger of God. We're told that it was the angel of the Lord, not an angel of the Lord. And later, when Hagar says, you are the God who sees for me, unlike in other stories in the Bible, the angel doesn't correct her and say that he is just a messenger. And what is even more remarkable is that Hagar, a pregnant slave girl on the run, is the first person in the Bible to have an encounter with the angel of the Lord. Her son is the first baby to be called, uh, be given a name by God whilst in the womb. 
In her story, we begin to see the astonishing way that God's heart leans towards the least, the last and the lost. He intervenes in the life of a lowly slave and brings dignity to her life by visiting her in her distress. And Hagar is then obedient. She is obedient to the Lord's instruction and she returns to Abraham and Sarah, not knowing what awaits her. And Sarah is not included in the account of Ishmael's birth. We're told that Abraham had a son. Abraham called him Ishmael. Abraham was 86 years old. Ishmael was a son to Abraham, but he was not the promised heir to Abraham and Sarah. And our passage for the, today then skips to chapter 21. And in the intervening chapters, Abraham's kind of covenant God gives a, with God is, is, is increased and he's got the new name of Abraham. Circumcision is introduced and we're not going to be dwelling on that now. And uh, Abraham negotiates with God to save his nephew Lot from the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And lastly, Isaac, the promised heir of Abraham and Sarah, is both promised and born. So picking up the story in chapter 21, Ishmael is now likely 16 years old, no longer a boy, but a teenage heir to Abraham's empire. And he's recently been supplanted by Isaac. And in the preceding verses, we're told there was a great feast to celebrate Isaac's weaning. And during the party on seeing that Ishmael was mocking um, Isaac, Sarah goes to Abraham and told him to dismiss that slave woman and her son. Notice she is no longer called a maidservant. All illusion is gone. She is a slave. And I can picture the moment, can't you? Abraham, 100 years old, 25 years since his heir was promised, has had his son. This would be his peak of happiness, contentment and joy. Their son has survived childbirth. Their son Isaac has survived the risk of infant life and they're celebrating his weaning. It would have been a party like no other, no expense spared. And Sarah was equally elated. The impossible had happened. She had conceived a child as a geriatric. <laughs> she was full of laughter. For her personally, the shame she felt of being infertile had been taken away. However, in the midst of the celebrations, her jealousy, which had simmered for many years watching Ishmael mature, rose to the surface. Her jealousy is then like a punch to the gut to Abraham. Perhaps it was between courses of their great feast that she sidles over to Abraham, telling him to get rid of his son. And unlike other moments in this story, it is this moment that causes Abraham great distress. And we're told that he, he struggled and wrestled with this decision. But in his anguish, God reminded him that it would be through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. And I, God, will make the son of your maidservant into a nation. God gives Abraham permission to let go and to release them into God's care. So when the camp is still quiet, people are still drowsy and sleeping in from the celebrations of the night before, Abraham wakes early, goes through the camp to Hagar's tent. He wakes Hagar and Ishmael from their sleep. And with a skin of water and a bag of food, he banishes them from the camp. They leave that morning without any other warning and they're back into the wilderness again. Abraham would never see his son again. 
Victor Hamilton, in his commentary on Genesis, says of the following verses, Unable to go any further, and water supply exhausted, Hagar leaves Ishmael under the shade of the desert shrubs in order to let him die. The verb used almost always refers to lowering a dead body into its grave. Then, at their point of deepest, darkest despair, the angel of the Lord appears to Hagar for a second time and reveals the full promise to make Ishmael into a great nation. And this is testament to Hagar's faithfulness and obedience to God. At this point, all that God has promised her is that Ishmael will be a wild donkey, his hand will be against everyone, and he will live in hostility. Not the most uh, comforting promises. But now, with a shadow of death coming so close to them both, God has promised her the most marvellous promise. You could promise to anyone of that time. The promise that Ishmael's descendants would be a great nation. In doing so, not only does God demonstrate his concern for Ishmael's future, but also his present. They're thirsty, they're exhausted, they need something to drink, and God opens their eyes to a nearby well. God is interested not only in our life-altering decisions of relationships, of work, of family and where we should live, but also both in our point of need and our everyday concerns. And you can draw near to him confidently today. Jesus taught us to pray, give us today our daily bread. David would later write in Psalm 40, he lifted me out of the miry pit, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. And this was the feeling that Hagar and Ishmael experienced. And the story concludes with a new nation being established from Hagar, the once Egyptian slave. And the line of Abraham is finally secure after 26 years with a son in Isaac. So let us remind ourselves, if you remember nothing else, of our one takeaway from this passage, is that Abraham is a flawed character that God uses. But I just want to pull out a few other thoughts to help us today. And what struck me when I was reading this story is that Abraham is a minor character. If this was a new series on Netflix, Abraham would be played by Michael Caine. He, he would feature in all the adverts, but only in watching this mini-series would you realise how much of a bit part he actually is. They would have filmed all of his scenes within two days, and it would have all been in the same tent and Hagar and Sarah would have had all the dramatic scenes. And although I make light of this, the point is important. In these passages, Abraham demonstrates a huge weakness in character, perhaps his biggest compromising moment in his life. And I think his willingness to go with other people's suggestions without prayerful consideration um, of other options is his biggest flaw. We're not told that he deliberated on the idea of sleeping with Hagar. He goes with the flow again and again, sleeping with Hagar, allowing the mistreatment of Hagar. Then finally, it's only with the banishment of Hagar and Ishmael that finally causes him distress. John Calvin says, Abraham, who through so many years had bravely contended like an invincible combatant and had surmounted so many obstacles, now yielding in a single moment to temptation. Who among us will not fear for himself in similar danger? Therefore, we may have stood long and firmly in our faith. We must daily pray that God would not lead us into temptation. 
We're not told that Abraham desired Hagar, that he wanted to have sex with Hagar. He desired an, an heir, and Hagar, in a crude way, was a means to an end. Many of our desires are normal and good, but God wants us to satisfy them in the right way at the right time. When Jesus was being tempted in his own wilderness, he was able to resist temptation by knowing the word, but being obedient to the word. And we likewise need to do the same, daily pray and be obedient to God's word in our life. So Sarah, Sarah takes matters into her own hands and stops trusting God. And again, I don't want to appear too harsh. After all, she was only desiring good things, a child, an heir. And for her, this was her way of accomplishing God's promises. But the moment I do want to draw out is the fallout of the decision to introduce Hagar to Abraham. Sarah has a change of heart. She regrets what she initiated and she blames Abraham for the result. Too often, the easy way out is to accuse someone else, then admit error and ask forgiveness. Her anger in responding to the situation then boils over and becomes violent. Anger, especially when it arises from our own shortcomings, can be dangerous. In Psalm 37, it says, Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil. If you're quick to anger, the Bible says, Refrain and turn. If you, like Sarah, have carried jealousy in your heart like a dark cloud, refrain and turn. If you, like Sarah, feel that violence is only a moment away, refrain and turn. But don't assume you can do this on your own. Reach out, admit your weakness and seek help from others. So lastly, coming to Hagar and Perhaps the person in the story that's had the biggest impression on me as I've been reading it. When Hagar appeared to, uh, when God appeared to Hagar whilst pregnant in the wilderness, she was obedient to his direction. She returned to Sarah and Abraham, not knowing if further beating or even death lay in wait for her. Yet she remained obedient. And I want to pause here and take a moment to acknowledge the threat of violence is a daily reality for many even in our church. I know of an outstanding Christian charity called Restored Relationships. They seek to bring awareness to gender-based violence. And they quote the UK Home Office statistics, where 25% of women in the UK will experience domestic abuse at some point in their life. And that 750,000 children witness domestic violence every year. And if the numbers are that high, let us not be naive to think the church is immune or those in the church are without fault or without risk. During the first three months of lockdown, the charity Refuge reported an 80% increase in calls to its helpline. This is another cruel consequence of COVID-19 that's been invisible. If you were caught in a violent relationship and you feel stuck and trapped, speak to someone reach out it's a brave thing to do but speak to someone in the church to nikki to pete to me but we're also just going to add a link to a helpline in the chat below however let us all take encouragement from hagar's faith you may feel that you're in your life in the wilderness now or that you've had big decisions ahead trust god and he is faithful to his promises 
But also in Hagar, we see God bringing dignity to a slave, bringing honour to a refugee far from home. And it's the painful truth that slavery is not a relic to the Bible, nor is it a relic to William Wilberforce's era. It also remains a daily reality for many million people in our world. Just last week, Anugra, I and the kids, we went down to the beach. We had a swim in the sea, the same stretch of water where there's countless dinghies packed full of people, refugees seeking England for a new hope and a new start in life. Slavery takes place in the UK. The Somali British poet Wasin Shah says, you have to understand that no one puts their children in a boat unless the water is safer than the land. Just last month, the uh, UK fashion juggernaut Boohoo faced criticisms of modern day slavery as they were paying only £3.50 an hour at their Leicester factory. We, like God, need to bring dignity to the least, the last and the lost. And you can do so with your consumer choices. You can do so by giving money to frontline charities or by petitioning the government to change legislation and by praying to God to intercede. And my last comment on Hagar is this, and it brings us back to Jesus, that both Hagar and Mary stand as examples of women who obediently accepted God's word and thereby brought blessing to the descendants too many to count. If you're a woman listening today, take a moment to ask God how he wants to use you in his kingdom purposes. Make yourself available to him today. And as we have looked at the story in greater depth, Abraham is not the only one at fault. Hagar ran away from the problem. Sarah did not trust God. Abraham was complicit. He went along with the plan and, and did very little to resolve it when it went wrong. However, as Paul says in Romans 8:28, we know that in all things God works for the good of those that love him. Though they each have their faults, Sarah and Abraham still received the son they desperately wanted. And God solved Hagar's problems despite Abraham's refusal to get involved. No problem is too complicated for God if you're willing to let him help you.